Support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by the Heat Treat Buyer's Guide. Go to the online shop to find your equipment and service needs at www.buyersguide.heattreattoday.com. Welcome to Heat Treat Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Funk, editor of Heat Treat Radio. We rejoin Heat Treat Today publisher Doug Glenn and Heat Treat Hardness expert Mark Hemseth. Mark was formerly the vice president of Super IQ and Nitriting at Seco Warwick and is now the vice president of Sales Americas for Nitrex Heat Treating Services. Since we'd recorded this episode prior to his move to Nitrex, Mark will be speaking from the point of view as a Seco vacuum representative. This is the third of a three-part series on Harness 101, so we encourage you to listen to the first two episodes so you can understand the differences surrounding the hottest harness processes that Mark describes in today's conversation. Go to heattreattoday.com slash radio and click Mark Hemseth Harness Part 1 or Part 2. Now, let's jump into today's episode. This is our third episode with you, Mark. In the first episode, basically, we were just dealing with very general, kind of like hardness 101. What is it? Why is it important? What materials can be hardened, etc.? The second one, we delved a little bit further into specific processes like carburizing, nitriding, etc. So if any of the listeners are, are listening now, they haven't listened to episode one and two, I'd recommend that they go back. Uh, take a listen to those at at their leisure, at your leisure. And what we wanted to do today really was just deal with some of the some of the the newer advances, why we're seeing some of those newer advances, some of the new, why the, some of the processes are having a bit of a resurgence, and just talk through some of those things. So I think, uh, Mark, before we start, I'll just ask you straight up. Is there anything from the last episodes that you think we need to reiterate or review or you think we did OK on those last ones? No, I think we did well. And I just wanted to say thank you again for uh, letting me talk about this. And I think these are some great subjects and I uh, uh, really enjoy doing this. Good, good. Super. All right. So so let's talk about this. I mean, one of the from my perspective, from what I hear around the industry, nitriding seems to be getting a lot of playtime. Right. I mean, there's a go to throw in a radio term. Right. A lot of playtime here. So you hear it a lot. Why is that? Why? Why is it that nitriding seems to be growing in popularity? Well, Doug, if if you were to ask me, uh, which you did, I think <laughs> it's mainly due to the uh, discovery that nitriding and really its cousin, FNC, fritic nitrocarburizing, right. are actually fairly inexpensive treatments and they can be performed on a final dimension parts, okay? So no post-machining and minimal distortion. So that's kind of my opinion of why it's done well. And 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 I like I said, nitriding, not quite as much as FNC. They get lumped together, but they are distinctly different. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So FN FNC is really the is really the most cost cost savings, huh? Yeah, you're going to get a fairly hard surface uh, on the part at at fairly short cycle times and low temperature. So again, you can use that final uh, dimension part. Uh, You can control that white layer or compound zone, uh, not only in terms of thickness, but also in terms of composition. In other words, how much epsilon versus gamma prime and its porosity. So this allows for repeatable results and repeatable performance today. This was not as easy 20 years ago. It yep. is today. 
Yeah. And, and that's because what? Uh, just the uh, just advancements in equipment and controls technology. I mean, we've come a long way with uh, process control and that sort of thing. I mean, it's substantially different. I mean, I always make a joke uh, when we do proposals for equipment. The thing that changes all the time are our, our controls, our controls. Yeah. That electronics are constantly changing and improving. Right, 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 right. Okay. All right. That's good. Uh, so how about, well, you know, one other question about nitriding before we move off of that. Are, are we seeing that growth in popularity in any particular industries or any particular types of products? Or is it, would you classify it as across the board? I mean, I know you and I have spoken before about, you know, like brake rotors and things of that sort, but... Well, it it has. You're correct. They've they found new uses for it. So brake rotors is is one excellent example where you know other whole new companies have emerged just to do that sort of process because of the volumes that are out there. Uh, I think a lot of things are being done. The nice thing about nit- uh, FNC, uh, a white layer generation on a part, is it also has corrosion control. So mm-hmm. for automotive, that makes a lot of sense. So they're discovering new uses uh, for FNC. Uh, and then nitriding in general has the ability in, in a lot of instances, as well as FNC, to replace carburizing. So uh, it depending upon how you engineer the part. So there's a lot of reasons to be using nitriding. Okay. Okay. So let's let's you mentioned carburizing. So let's talk about the next next uh, process that I'm hearing a lot about, and that's low pressure carburizing. Is it is it actually growing in popularity? Are we hearing more about it? And if so, why? Well, uh, in this one, I think it's a bit different in my opinion. I I think the surge came many years ago when automakers discovered LPC Mm -hmm. uh, and it had a lot of good benefits. At the same time, now aerospace has discovered it, but the volumes aren't as high as they were with automotive. Uh, LPC is a great process. However, I have been scratching my head as to why it has not become more prevalent. And and I think I might have some answers for that. All right. So what are they? Why not more prevalent? <laughs> <laughs> First, uh, many applications of LPC being vacuum in nature were performed with high pressure gas quenching. Okay. Uh, quenching with high pressure gas limits both load size and materials that you can use. Uh-huh. Uh, that can be quenched in gas, uh, as well as some of the part geometries, thicker, thicker cross sections, etc. They're very hard to quench uh, when you're dealing with certain uh, steels or alloys uh, with high pressure gas quenching. Um, and and you know, carburizing, which LPC is trying to uh, replace or complement, it's really a high volume championing of surface hardening. So hence, uh, per pound prices are low. And loads are large and dense, and 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 you bring in a better quality uh, method methodology, but you have a lot of limitations on productivity. It's going to get more expensive. So, so you're saying that the reason LPC low pressure carburizing hasn't taken off is because of the 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 high pressure gas quenching, essentially because you can do you have to do smaller loads. Yeah, to get to get good quenching with gases because of the nature of how the gases flow around mm-hmm. the parts and quench them, uh, even at twenty bar nitrogen or or helium, it's just yeah, it's just extremely difficult, right? Uh, to get the quench rates uh, for certain steels that are required. Right. Very easy with liquids, right? You got to so you've got to either 
lighten the density of the load so you get more of the gas flow or more loads, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you know vacuum uh, processing, typically they spread the parts out further. Yeah. Uh, you have to do that for gas quenching because uh, depending upon where the gases come from, you don't want to be uh, having one part in the path of another part because you're not going to get the same quench rate. Uh, that's it's it, that's still somewhat possible with liquids like like oil or or, or water polymer, but right. certainly not as predominant. So that begs the question: Can we do LPC with a oil quench or or some sort of quench that's not high pressure gas? Yes, and it's been done. It's been done for quite a long time. Uh, they they call it uh, uh, they call it low pressure carburizing or vacuum oil quenching. Right. Uh, you can do both through hardening and carburizing in a vacuum chamber, and then you can transfer it uh, to oil quenching. And typically, the way that's been done over all the years is you transfer it uh, in vacuum from the vacuum heating chamber to the vacuum that's over the oil, and then you put it in the oil. And that's what you call classical vacuum oil quenching. Yes. The other thing that we hear something about, it, we're talking about high-pressure gas quenching and density of loads and things of that sort. One of the things I've heard about or have been hearing about is companies trying to do more either small lot, semi-continuous processes, or in fact, single piece flow so that they can get around the issue of having to oil quench. They can, in fact, do single parts, high pressure gas quenching and things of that sort. Comment on that for a little bit. Is that are you seeing a growth there? Well, as you know, we do offer that product line for single piece flow. Right. Uh, so, yeah, we've 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 been working at it for many years. And, and one of the the, the driving forces behind single piece flow is that people are already doing it with so-called press quenching. Uh, in, in those instances, they're taking it out of typically out of a reheat furnace, taking the part out one by one and putting it into a uh, into a fixture and then quenching it with oil in the fixture to stop distortion uh, as that product cools. Uh, that's that's a very uh, slow process, very expensive, very labor intensive, unless you can automate that uh, with robots, et cetera. It, it typically also, like I mentioned, involves if you if you're if you're surface hardening, uh, you're probably going to do that in a separate unit and uh, and carburize that and then slow cool it, and then you're going to put it back into a reheat furnace. So it really adds to the cost of those parts. But you get some tremendous distortion control. Uh, on the parts, right. right? That that's in press quenching. You're talking. That's in press quenching. Now, okay. what we've come up with is something that we call uh, we call a unit case master. When you're doing a, a, a case hardening with it, we also utilize what we call our 40 quench. And the 40 quench is a high pressure gas quench that actually takes many many nozzles of high pressure gas and puts it right on the part. And the fourth dimension is that we actually spin that part. So if you have regular gear, you're getting that gas distribution that's coming out of many, many nozzles distributed very, very uniformly all over the part. And what we're seeing with that process is the distortion is very, very low. We're not using any oils. Uh, we're not using a press quench. We, we have very low labor inputs, and we can put it in line with the manu manufacturing cell. Uh, the only issue with, with that technology, and one of the reasons it's been a little bit slow to grow, is that you need relatively uniform part sizes and shapes and pretty large volumes. Uh, 
but this would usually be part of the process plan. And we've come up now with some uh, varieties of that where we can actually change that 4D press quench to cover a range of sizes. And you can program that into the, uh, into the software. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, and, and on that, like that 4D quench or the, I think, Unicase Master in the quenching process, are you able to treat most of the grades of steel, uh, even oil quench grades, uh, or most of those, or is it fairly limited? No, it's, it's actually very good. And what we found is because we're concentrating that cooling of the, of the high-pressure gases very close to the surface, you know, I mentioned before, about a, a, you know, you're in a batch load, let's say you're in a 24 by 24 by 36 inch load geometry with high pressure gas quench. Well, those gas nozzles are coming from very far away. If you go to a more standard large size, like a 36, 36, 48, the nozzles are even further away from the source. So yes, you're getting flow, uh, mass flow across the products, but you're not getting much impingement. And in, mm-hmm. in, in convective cooling, you need jet impingement. I, I spent my whole life on this. Uh, as you may recall, I was involved with my father and he had patents on jet impingement. So uh, we, we come from a long history of working with convection and jet impingement and our 4D quench perfectly uh, optimizes those jets coming out, the gas jets. And it, at, at four, six or eight bar, we can do the same cooling rate on a gear that you can get with oil. And that's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, how about some of the other advances that we've seen? I've got a couple other, a couple others thrown down here that I'd like you to comment on. And again, for the listeners, I just want the listeners to know Mark's a very gracious guy. Uh, I've asked him, even though he works with Seco Vacuum, I've asked him to comment on some other uh, products that are outside of not not his, uh, but he, he'll give you a good uh, a good perspective on these things just a you know introductory perspective anyhow when we return mark will continue describing why certain hardness systems such as hybrid systems are more important as of late but first do you ever forget all of those good equipment options that you see pop up online or in your magazine do you wish you could just go to one place and find the heat treating services that you needed you know yesterday Okay, then type buyersguide.heattreattoday.com in your web browser and boom, you're welcome. The Buyer's Guide is clean, easy to use, makes shopping a breeze, and gives you current information about what heat treat suppliers have to offer. It has furnaces, insulation, and NOx analyzers, as well as specific services like carburizing or NADCAP certifications that you can locate an expert for. Find out what you need today at www.buyersguide.heattreattoday.com. Again, Heat Treat Today's Buyer's Guide is online at www.buyersguide.heattreattoday.com. Now, Mark will continue explaining these different harness equipment applications and their uses on the cutting edge of metal hardening. Let's talk about hybrid systems, if we, if we can. We're talking about an integral quench, basically an integral quench type system which is where a lot of this hardening process goes on that we've been talking about. So talk about the hybrid system. Yeah, as, as, as we talked before, you know, the, the uh, vacuum oil quenching has been done for a long time. 
uh, as has integral quench furnace has remained pretty much, uh, you know, gas carburizing or gas uh, integral quench furnace has remained pretty much the same for 50 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they utilize an oil quench. You try to get as quickly as you can into that oil quench. You have agitation in the oil, which gives you pretty decent quenching. When you do that in a vacuum oil quench, because you're uh, putting a vacuum over the oil, uh, you'll get too much outgassing with standard oils. So they've had to develop uh, special oils for vacuum oil quenching, which uh, a couple of things with, with vacuum oils. Number one is they're not as fast. They're slower quenching mm-hmm. uh, because of the nature of, of, of how they make them. And the other thing is they're kind of hard to wash off. Uh, they, they tend to varnish on and give you more problems with that. Mm-hmm. So, uh People that have to do vacuum oil quenching have have learned to like it and and do it. But uh, people that are used to doing standard integral quench furnaces really, if they like oil at all, which a lot of them don't, but uh, a standard oil quench furnace, integral quench furnace, has fairly fast oil. And that allows you to put some pretty good-sized loads, a lot of productivity, through a standard integral quench furnace. So what we decided to do was we said, look, we want to keep that standard integral quench. And if we do that and marry it to a vacuum chamber that can do low-pressure carburizing, how will we go about uh, employing that? So uh, we were able to create the furnace that did that. We're using a standard quench, standard oils, and instead of uh, having endogas uh, as a blanket atmosphere, we use only nitrogen, uh, you know, dry, pure nitrogen. And then in the in the uh, in the in the heating chamber, number one is if you're doing uh, through hardening, you don't have any atmosphere. You're you're under vacuum. And the good news with being under vacuum is that you don't have any problem with decarb or or picking up carbon of your part. Now, under vacuum, the nature is that the carbon does not. Uh, move around, does not leave the part, does not go into the part. So it becomes very easy. Uh, Regular uh, integral quench furnace, you have to condition it and try to get it at the same carbon potential that you have in your parts. So it gets a little tricky. With this furnace, uh, it's very, very simple. Uh, As far as carburizing, when you do it in a low-pressure mode, what we call LPC, low-pressure carburizing, use only acetylene. You're doing it at fairly uh, low-pressure levels. Uh, typically in the five to 10 bar or tour range, and you're using just acetylene, and you're using what they call a boost diffuse. Now, the key to doing low pressure carburizing, and one of the reasons I think that it has had some issues in the past, is you need good simulation software. Uh, we happen to offer one called SimCarb, and it has you know years and years, uh, if not decades, of experience behind it so that it's now a very uh, handy tool for the uh, heat treater to know what his cycles and recipes are going to look like in a, in a LPC type furnace. Right, right, right. Okay, good. So basically you're, going, you're doing pretty much a, a vacuum heat cycle, pulling it out of vacuum into a nitrogen chamber and dunking it into a standard oil quench. Yes, we'll, we'll backfill with nitrogen at the end of the cycle. You typically want to drop a little in temperature anyway before you quench, so there's no yep. problem putting cold nitrogen in there. Yep. Uh, you get to your transfer temperature, and you transfer into the oil. That's Gotcha. Simple. Gotcha. It makes a, a cost comparison between a full vacuum oil quench and a, and this hybrid-type system? Is well, we've done comparable? we've done quite a few. I mean, it's we have two things going against us. We have electric heating. And we're using nitrogen. However, 
the gas guys have quite a bit of gas usage because they're using endo generators right. and there's quite a bit of energy consumed in those endo generators. So when you do the comparison uh, in a, in a temperature, same temperature processing scenario, it's about equal. However, because our equipment can go to higher temperatures without any challenge at all to our heating furnace, uh, we can go much faster carburizing cycles. So when you start uh-huh. getting those shorter carburizing cycles, you're using less energy and right. you're using you're using less gases. So we actually will end up being a little more competitive. It's kind of counterintuitive, but this is how it it really is helping us. And, you know, go only going 100 degrees Fahrenheit higher, which is not very uncommon, going from 1,700 degrees Fahrenheit to 1,800, results right. in almost 50% faster carburizing times. It's pretty yeah. tremendous. Yeah, so you're actually being more efficient with your equipment. Very efficient, and you'll actually get more productivity of our units if you take advantage of the higher temperature. And by going 100, 150, 200 degrees higher in Fahrenheit, you're not going to hurt the furnace. Right. Unlike a gas-fired radiant tube where yeah. you're going to tear it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, comment a little bit about the in the industry about the true vacuum oil quench systems. Oh, yeah, they're, they're wonderful systems, and we make a great one called Case Master Evolution, and we've had that for over 10 years. Uh, great product line. Other people have it. All the other, uh, a lot of other furnace companies. I just read that one one furnace vacuum furnace company is going to be offering it uh, in the next year or so. I saw another vacuum furnace came out with a new line. They're kind of touting the the ecological aspects of it. Uh, but we've been doing it for a long time, so we know how good it is. The only issue with the soap, the vacuum oil quench, is the equipment's a little more expensive. Mm-hmm. So for aerospace, that's not a problem. The equipment's typically not quite as productive, uh, but uh, and it costs maybe 50% more than standard uh, basic integral quench furnaces, right? So as as far that's kind of why we came up with what we call our super IQ: try to get the cost down and have mm-hmm. the benefits. Yep. Yep. And then based on that, uh, can we also increase the productivity? And we found that we could. And it, it turns out to be much more advantageous money-wise. However, there are still specifications. There's still people that want to have that vacuum-to-vacuum transfer. Uh, there, there's there's people that want to have that type of, uh, uh, you know, aerospace-grade type uh, uh, processing. And our, uh, our, our equipment has done very well. And I'm sure some of the other guys are, are selling theirs as well. Yeah. So there's still a place, obviously, for a full vacuum oil quench system. Uh, but there's the, the, back on the hybrid. Then is there are there other companies that you know of, and you don't need to name names. Obviously, that wouldn't don't want you to. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not aware of any. Uh, okay. So there's the hybrid systems. Basically, at this point, you guys are the only ones doing it. I guess. It's. I mean, there's two barriers to entry, obviously, into that market. Uh, one, obviously, is having the vacuum oil quench. Uh, technology and then, uh, you know, converting that technology to what we have, which is, uh, you know, nitrogen gas, et cetera. Uh, The other thing is, as I mentioned before, if you don't have the simulation uh, programs, uh, it's going to be hard for you to place it into very high production shops. I mean, an aerospace shop, you've got a lot of high-end people around that can do that for you, can set up the recipes, et cetera. If you're in a basic uh, commercial treat shop, you're not going to have that kind of personnel who can be doing that uh, on site. 
cycles that change uh, right. fairly rapidly with, without a good tool. And we have right. that tool. Okay, gotcha. All right, I want to ask you one last question, kind of unrelated, kind of related, a little bit different. We had a podcast we did recently, a, f- a four-part series we did with Joe Powell from Integrated Heat Treat Solutions. He talked about, I'm just curious your opinion on this. Uh, he talked about this this process of basically quenching, getting the whole part, the, all aspects, all the whole surface of the part down to the Martin site start temperature, which basically forms a case around the product around the part and then you can slow convect basically uh convect conductive cool basically from the core inside out uh you know it has to do with hardening so i want to just throw it out what what did did you get a chance to listen to those podcasts or parts of them and what do you think of that whole process uh i did as you requested i i looked at it (laughs) yeah Uh, the podcast on intensive quenching by Joe Powell. I'll I'll tell you that I actually I can't remember which show it was. One of the last uh, or two heat treat shows. Uh, I actually end up sitting next to him out in the hall somewhere, and he handed me a piece of paper and said, "Here, this is what we're doing." So uh, I was exposed to it before, but uh, I got into it more now that you uh, showed it to me. Uh, and like I'm saying, it, it certainly is science based, and he understands the issue of quenching very well. Uh, and I and I'll point out that our 4D quench solves many of these issues, but yeah. uh, he's coming from his angle uh, on it, and I certainly agree with him. Uh, as as you may recall, uh, uh, I've probably mentioned it before. My father's been in, was in the industry uh, and had 65 patents, mostly in heat treating related right inventions. Right. Right. Rarely did we make money off of these ideas. Okay, <laughs> so, so I'm used to a lot of. Great ideas, but I but you can't make money. So uh, I think it's challenging in this world of mass production heat treating, uh, where we have carburizing being performed at fifty cents a pound to get engineers like like Joe is uh, uh, wanting to do, to focus on the whole part life cycle and and combining that final quench phase with the part design. And I and I think it's a great idea, but I just think it's hard to do. So, yeah. you know, and, and we kind of know this from experience and I won't get into it too much, but I think you may know we have a process called pre-night where we uh, pre-night our pre-night nitride our uh, parts. And that is a similar type thing where we're trying to take advantage of things that we know are possible in heat treating and pre-nitriding it allows the uh, the grains to not grow when you go to higher temperature to try to get more productivity out of a piece of equipment. The one thing you got to do, though, is convince the engineer to use a different uh, alloy yeah. so that you don't get grain growth in the core and convincing those guys is tough. So, yeah. I, you know, we just don't see engineers engaged enough to do this complex re-engineering. That's my opinion only. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's where mainly I think Joe's going to get some resistance. I think his ideas are great. And of course, I totally agree with his approach to it. Uh, I mean, I could go through some other ideas that I, that I came up with uh, just reading his is is almost like you know should you should you mist quench first before you dip it dunk it in the oil right so you get that outer outer case uh, on uh-huh. your uh, yeah. uh, as he talked about so I think it's a lot a lot of great ideas what we what we need to do is find you know some really good engineers uh, to break those uh, 
to break the barrier of those uh, low risk takers that we have yeah. in engineering. Right. And, and I think that's possible. You know, uh, you may know uh, everybody's out there talking to people like Tesla and SpaceX and yeah. some aerospace companies. These guys are starting to break some of these barriers. They're starting to say, we don't want to do the status quo. We want to do something different. And if we can do that, uh, a lot of more of these technologies will will take off. Right. We need some early adopters to step up. Early adopters uh, and people who want to not just be yes men, but really think it through. Yeah. You know, the yeah, whole yeah. life cycle of a part, how it's designed, everything else. Right. So, dear listener, if you are one of those people, <laughs> please call us. We're, we're interested. we got a couple different technologies. Uh uh, Mark, thanks a lot for your your hardness 101 here on the uh, helping us out on these three. I think we've covered some good ground. And uh, if in, people are interested in getting a hold of you, uh, certainly seek. Uh, they can go to Seco Vac USA. That's S E C O V A C USA dot com. That's the the website. Mark, thanks very much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Doug, enjoyed it as always. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's Heat Treat Radio episode with Mark Hemseth on Harness 101, Part 3. Check out more technical episodes from Heat Treat Radio at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or simply at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash radio. To learn more about today's guest, send an email to me and I'll put you in touch with Mark. My email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. We're always interested in new Heat Treat Radio topics. Send me an email with what you find fascinating so that we can talk about it in a future Heat Treat Radio episode. Additionally, if you'd like to be a sponsor of a future episode, let me know and we'll be in touch. Again, my email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. Hop on the Heat Treat Today website to find what's new and happening. If it's a technical or news item, we've got you covered. Currently, we're in the middle of receiving nominations for the 40 Under 40 Class of 2021. If you know a bright, young Heat Treat leader, please nominate them at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash nominate so that we can recognize all that they have accomplished. Heat Treat Radio would like to thank the Heat Treat Buyer's Guide for sponsoring this episode. Find your equipment and service needs at www.buyersguide.heattreattoday.com. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advanced written permission from Heat Treat Today. Jonathan Lloyd, audio producer extraordinaire, created and mixed most of the music that you heard today. Check out his professional work at www.jonathanlloydmusic.com. That's Lloyd with two L's. Thank you, Jonathan. And I'm your host, Bethany Funk. Thank you for listening. Thank you.